0: The content in this podcast is meant for mature audiences only, 18 and up, as some of it may be triggering and are difficult to listen to. Continuing Forward releases Rest, Virginia Dixon, from all liability related to any response to the following content. everyone to the rest podcast where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion chaos and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Hi, Virginia. Hi. I'm so excited about today's podcast. As am I. And to be recording at the villa again is great. That's right. I love it. This is home. Yes. This
1: is the home of rest, so it's good. And we have a very special guest today.
0: We do. Today, Riley Schutz, a longtime client and a significant part of our collaboration team, is here to tell us about her story and reference to this month's focus on a Addiction awareness. Hi, Riley. Hi, guys. Good morning. good morning. We're so happy. This just feels like we can all
1: be in our slippers.
0: Oh, totally. Sweats. You literally are in your slippers. I
1: no, I went to put on my boots oh, so I could feel more. That's together. smart.
0: That's good. Your pink slippers were so cute this morning though. <laughs> I loved it.
1: I am thankful for the conversation we've been able to engage in. And as you know, Natalie. I think regular people are the experts because they're the foot soldiers. They're on the ground, yeah, front and center. And when I talk to so many, many people during the course of a year, that I find that often the research that comes out is only a footnote to the stories I've already heard. Right, And it's caused me to place an incredible amount of attention, I think, importance, perhaps even heart into listening to what people have to say because they have full knowledge of what they're dealing with. What they often lack is understanding of how to displace the confusion, the chaos and the disease, right? That ails them. But I think, so anyway, it's been a great experience for me to be able to speak to people that we work with. And of course, Roman is at the pulse Of what's happening in terms of research and just he's the boots on the ground right in front line dealing with addictions. But today I want to discuss something from an angle, perhaps, that isn't very popular. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly not widely discussed. Yeah. But I think Riley is about the only person I know that can take us there. Yeah. And it's not my story. I happened to, by the grace of God, know what to do. And Jim Hanley and Dr. Charles Kraft and a handful of other people that have poured into my life, I knew what to do with the situation that I faced. But I think Riley's story is of specific importance because she has a voice that I've n- not heard, frankly, Yeah, in a forum like this. So, Riley... I have waited for this conversation for a long time and I am thankful that you're ready. <laughs>
2: I wouldn't say ready.
1: <laughs> How about this? I'm thankful that you're willing and I know, I know your heart. I know who you are and it's for the joy set before you that you're going to endure a tough conversation this morning. And I want to thank you for that. Young, beautiful, bright, Accomplished in everything you endeavored to do. That's why we all open with open arms said, Oh, you're not going anywhere. Right. <laughs> and we wanted you to join our team. And I'll never ever forget the day you walked in my office and
2: you said, Well, it was because I remember in high school and whenever I studied psychology and government and I wanted to pursue both of those avenues maybe going into law eventually or going to be a counselor which I'm glad I didn't (laughs) pursue that Mm -hmm. but I ended up going in a completely different direction because I didn't want to be pigeonholed into one of those two areas and then in college I remember taking like my freshman year a ton of philosophy classes but it still it just felt like such a narrow path, and I would be stuck in that one thing, which I ended up pursuing architecture. But whenever I remember after hearing about rest, it kind of felt like, and I mean, I grew up taking theology in school and Bible classes and growing up in church, and so rest kind of encapsulated all of those things that I had an interest in and wanted to pursue, but I didn't want to be stuck in one thing or another, and it kind of just took all of those things into one. That was captivating
1: for me because rest is comprehensive and it's an interdisciplinary view of everything and displacing confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in a variety of different fields, industries. It's applicable everywhere. It's applicable to so many things.
2: You were able to help me understand how all of those areas work Together. Together, you don't have to focus on one or the other. And it was like in the when I started reading "Escape from Reason" it talks about how they divided all of these different subjects and areas. Um, We've when segregated. Really they're all integrated. That's right. We've segregated education
1: and compartmentalized. We've discussed this before. We have in such a way that fragments us as people in our thinking, and the consequences are significant. Right? Yeah. So the things that that made rest immediately compelling to you were a lifeline because of the complexity of what brought you in to see us i didn't even realize there was a complexity
2: to it until until <sighs> you met me yeah I
1: and I, I remember day. when you left the office and it was like, what just happened <laughs> I remember when you'd come in the office it was like the wild wild west you didn't Quite know what was going to happen.
2: No, I just thought you were some crazy lady who was. I had no idea what was going to happen. <laughs> Somebody wants based said, on your text messages that I would get. I was like, "Who is this woman?" <laughs> <laughs> and now uh, you
0: live with her.
1: <laughs> and I, and now, yeah, now she's at the villa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, helping orchestrate yeah. the behind the scenes things. We've been talking about addictions, a banquet in the grave. But I think what I wanted to get to with you right away, and this is what I feel compelled to discuss, is we don't often discuss what drives addictions. And I have said for many, many, many years, a broken heart and a shattered soul, unreconciled confusion, chaos, and dis-ease of the spirit, soul, and body are the driving force behind addictions. And obviously, that's a mouthful, and there's a lot of complexity behind that. But your story is unbelievable. And day one, when I took a look at you, you could barely speak. Do you remember that?
2: I mean, I don't remember because I was so disconnected. Mm-hmm. But just thinking about it, yeah, I can. You see stared at was. me
1: pretty much. I didn't have words. You didn't have words. I was so thankful that we had a number of resources. That I could access that I didn't need your words. I could consult your body. When the soul doesn't have words, the body will speak for itself. And it was amazing because that's what helped me systematically unwrap what you were holding on to and get to the root of some things. I was able to systematically begin to put a storyline together and ask you questions
2: I remember I immediately, in short order, asked you if you'd been abused. Yeah, that was a hard question for me. You had asked me if I had been abused, and my immediate thought was no. Like I hadn't had a single memory. And I remember after that you had said, well, if you have, that memory will come. But I had just said I had had a very, very faint memory of like a brief two-second image in my head of something that had happened whenever I was younger, but I didn't know if that was real or not. Mm -hmm. And it was something Mm -hmm. that it only came up probably three or four times Mm -hmm. from the time I was like eight years old to Mm -hmm. 22 was whenever I first started meeting with you. And so it was just a faint memory and it was something that I would rarely ever think about and it would just randomly pop up, but then I would just push it down because I was like, where is that coming from? Is that even Mm -hmm. real?
1: We all often talk about The brain has full memory of everything. The problem is recall. But what happens is, continuously throughout our life, regularly, I should say, throughout our life, our body does cry out for help. And the brain, I feel, has points of asking for decompression. And everything in us cries for redemption and healing. And those memories that pop up, I've kind of observed that they come in that vein but people do dismiss them for a number of reasons. That's ridiculous. That would never happen. That person would never do this to me, or that's bizarre. What's, where's that coming from? And then they tend to so often dismiss themselves and dismiss these intuitive voices in our bodies, right? You numbed a lot of the pain that came from what in fact was early childhood traumatic experiences. And we'll get to how we uncovered those ultimately. But tell us a little bit what happened between eight and 13, 14 years old. Eight and 12. I think what brought
2: you in to see me? What I thought brought me in to see you was the death of my 16-year-old brother who had gotten in a car accident and drugs and alcohol were in his system. And my inability to process that or have any emotion whatsoever was why I felt like I needed to come and see you.
1: When was the first time he did drugs and alcohol?
2: When or with who?
1: With who? With me. That's right. And I know you to be a beautiful, kind, loving, conscientious, amazing girl, a woman of substance. And I know how mortified you are that the first person he did drugs and alcohol was with you.
2: But to answer your question of if I had ever been abused, that was like probably one of the first or second questions that you had asked me whenever I was in your office, which that seemed like an absurd question to ask me considering I don't even, I'm not here for that.
1: Well, if you recall, the reason I asked you that question is because without a tear in your eye and not one single emotion, you told me that you never wanted him to drink or use drugs without you and that you wanted it to be with you for the first time. So I knew there was a lot of guilt and shame and pain associated, not just, of course, with his death, but with the fact that you participated in drug use and alcohol use together and you wanted to make sure he was safe. So there was a lot wrapped into that. And I know that the root cause often of addictions is a broken heart and a shattered soul. And I was reading what your body was putting out through biofeedback resources, that there's some really dark, hidden things that aren't being discussed. And Riley, I know you to be this beautiful, kind, accomplished, thoughtful, loving person. And you are very, very bright. You did not use drugs just for the thrill of it. People think that's why they use drugs. But they're looking to escape something. I can
2: safely say I... Never did it for the thrill. I always, that's something I remember so vividly is that I always knew this is wrong. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I mean, yes, everyone has a conscience and has, might have that voice in their head, but something, I just felt it in my body every single time that this is, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. Why am I doing this?
1: For that reason, in short order, I could see something was being numbed. Pain, shame, guilt and i can also i could also see you weren't lying to me in short order um, the abuse had more comprehensive
2: consequences than just you right but to answer your question of the things that happened between the ages of 8 and 12 that one very faint memory that i had brought up like the first or second time that we had met i remember you saying well if it's true it'll like the memories will start coming back and it actually took a while for those memories to start coming back. It was probably two or three months of me working with you before something finally clicked.
1: And do you remember what happened when the first memories began to emerge?
2: Not the very first.
1: Your leg began to shake and come oh, right. And then it went all the way up your right leg, usually, up that right side of your body. And then you went into seizure-like symptoms. And then you would... 100% of the time, do it. You'd pass out
2: mm-hmm.
1: every single time. And initially I thought, oh, it's the body mm. not able to process the intensity of the trauma or it's the body slowly flushing it out. I thought a number of things and I turned every single stone and I realized we were dealing with something that was a little bit more complicated. hmm I think the important part of that segment of your story, though, rightly, is, and I think I want our listening audience to be sensitive about when we're looking at addictions and dealing with addictions, that there's complex pain generally. And if it's not that of the person, it's that of their parents or that of their ancestors. Mm-hmm. And we see it come straight down family lines and it's unresolved complex. Often a lot of secrets behind addictions. Yeah. And things people don't want to talk about. And it's a cancer.
2: Mm -hmm. I think there's also a big, I don't know if you've seen this, but I feel like a lot of addictions, people know what the root is, but I feel like also a lot of addictions, people don't even know how they even got Mm -hmm. there. So I feel like there's this weird, both sides of things. I
0: agree. Something that you mentioned too, was that you had literally forgotten about the things that had happened right. and it was coming up and we actually talked about in many now many episodes ago about how sometimes when someone goes through a trauma they can disassociate so much to the point that they do actually forget whether it's things that they've done or things that have been done to them
1: and it's a survival mechanism right? absolutely it's and
2: how the it's how our body's I set was up. completely dissociated when i came to you but your body's still remembered Yeah, it wasn't even for months until I realized, oh, that just, that one memory I finally remembered. And I thought that was just it.
1: In light of the fact that this segment is on addiction, I wanted to discuss the side of addiction that isn't often discussed. So I'm not uncomfortable talking about the things that emerged because I had nobody to send you to. Yeah. I had no one. I had to deal with things that, frankly, I know are real, but I had no desire to delve into. And I think this is important in light of it's Good Friday and it's mm-hmm. Easter. Yeah. It's when we celebrate that maybe death isn't the end of the story. Yeah. Maybe there is another realm outside of time that we don't fully understand. Mm -hmm. And that conversation becomes very important, Riley. So although I hadn't originally intended to take the podcast there, I think it's a pretty good, safe place to land. And that is the discussion about realms of reality that we need to begin to understand and educate ourselves on as we have this discussion about addiction. You came in almost in a catatonic, completely dissociated state and unable to even have a facial expression as you discussed the passing of your brother. Mm -hmm. And because of the resources that I have, understanding that the body is a sphere of government, is the body. But the second sphere of government is the soul, the mind, the heart, the will, the conscience. But the overriding sphere of government above all, is the spirit of a man. And in this secularized time, season, generation, if you will, we're not comfortable discussing spiritual things, but you and I had to come face-to-face with dimensions that we never wanted to deal with. When you were completely sober, I might add, and you were completely clear, and the trauma began to emerge in ways and express itself in ways we never dreamt possible. In the beginning catatonic, we began to access things, but the dissociative states that began to manifest in the office while I was trying to coach you through grief you began can- to manifest in where you would
0: completely disappear. Leave my out You weren't there. I actually have so. an example of, because when people hear catatonic, I don't think that they really understand like what that, Looks like I knew Riley right around the time that her brother had passed away. And if I remember right, he passed away and we were in business together. He passed mm-hmm. away, and then you showed up to a business meeting either it was the same day or the day after that you found out. The next day. Yeah, the next day. And you, like, no one could tell. Did no anything happen? Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, you were completely disconnected with the brutality of what your p- family and you and your brother. We're going through. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The changes that I have seen in you over the last year and a half, two years is just incredible. I'm
2: alive.
0: You're alive. You're
1: alive. And we're grateful. So I just summarized for us how you came in, where you got things and how the body began to reveal and and being in that catatonic state. Then from that point on, you had experienced measures of success.
2: Yeah. So we got to a point where I thought that was the one memory of the abuse that had happened to me around eight years old. And I thought that was it by a family member. And I didn't think it was something that happened frequently, like maybe just a few times. And that was something that we ended up... My parents never knew about. No one knew about. They ended up coming out here. We talked about that with them. And everything seemed a lot better at that point. And I also realized I couldn't even... This is a side note, but I couldn't even process the death of my brother until we unpacked all of this stuff.
1: Up until that point, even when your parents came out and we got to the bottom of that two incidents, there was still a measure of dissociation from feelings and being able to respond in productive ways to conversations to mom and dad. And you and I, when we would talk and we would meet and when we worked together, There would be incidences where the shaking would begin again, and the dissociation, and then it would end up every time, and you pretty much checking out, passing out. Yeah, I remember
2: that very vividly.
1: And still, we found you were able to overcome and manage three addictions. Do you want to talk about those briefly, so people that are listening that are struggling with addictions can find hope?
2: Yeah, it's hard because even thinking about that, even when I look at it now, it's hard for me to say, oh, that was an addiction. Mm -hmm. Because I think when people think of the word addiction, they think of someone who is completely strung out on something, their whole life's fallen apart, they need to be in rehab, or someone who's an alcoholic to the point where they can't function. But after working with you, I think you made me realize that the things that I was doing was not normal, <laughs> even though in my age and just getting out of college, that seemed normal, you know, going out every night, doing cocaine every night of the week, tripping on acid, doing all of this stuff very frequently, but because I am having sex with whoever, whenever,
1: and whenever. alcohol, let's add alcohol to and the alcohol, mix. So, yeah.
2: And I think for me, I never thought, oh, that's an addiction. Because on one hand, I had my life together. I never missed class. I had great grades. And on one side, I was like the seemingly perfect student.
1: Oh, yeah, you looked great on paper and on on the outside. And it
2: was like, because I felt like I could balance those two things, I didn't have an addiction. And I feel like that's what a lot of people do especially while in college and whatnot but I feel like I mean this started for me when I was 15 in high school wow and I was doing this all the time and I was honestly exhausted by the time that I came to see you but that's
1: almost a decade
2: yeah yeah I was and
1: you don't have memory of this but we discussed it started earlier medicating the behavior Ultimately, it's medicating the pain and the trauma of the measure and the kind of abuse that you underwent from 8 to 12.
2: And I think...
1: Because that can't be dismissed. It is the measure and the trauma of the abuse, which, by the way, neither of us had an idea of what, in fact, had happened until a year into this slowly unfolding. And through rest, I was able to help you. I remember specifically, I was able to help you come to grips with the layers of this destructive behavior. I think about addictions differently. I see a person struggling with misusing a substance, an activity, something that they would otherwise enjoy. Indulging to the point that this thing is affecting their health Mm -hmm. or their capacity to function or altering their mind, to me, that is an addiction. But at the root of addiction is a word that we don't discuss often, and that is idolatry. Idolatrous behaviors are things that cut us off from the life source, which in my opinion is God. Mm-hmm. Anything that alters or separates us from a life source, which is God, or takes the place of our hunger and our desire to reach for more, because we know intuitively we were meant for more than this, right? Anything that severs that is what conventionally is called an addiction. But I think, oh, it's a lot simpler than that. It's idolatry. And when we think about things in that context, all of a sudden we can deal with the spirit, the soul, and the body of a person.
2: And by the way, that's what helped me. Well, to me, I never thought it was an addiction because when I compared myself to all of my other friends, I mean, my it's crazy. My best friend in high school and my best friend in college, my best friend in high school was extremely addicted to, granted, there was a lot of pain that had happened in their life, but was in and out of rehab and almost to the point of like barely functioning. And then also in college, my best friend was basically a functioning alcoholic. And I always thought I would always put myself in, yes, I'm friends with these people, but I'm the good one out of Mm. I'm better, not better, but I'm the one who's going to make it and make something out of my life. And because I always felt like I knew where to draw the line,
1: Mm. I wasn't well, I didn't su- have a problem. That's right. Because success and addictions are like marriage partners, by the way. So there's a lot of addicts. That's another thing. We begin to define, put categories of addictions. This person goes in rehab. This person's in the gutter. But this person's making $500 million a year. They're all addicts. They're all, have, they're all completely disengaged from the life source of their soul and of their spirit. And they have a substance that's regulating their behavior. They get out of bed with it. They use it during the day to cope. They use it at night to have fun, whatever. But the thing is, it's from use to use to use to use. Whether it's technology, I'm huge on the addiction of technology because I'm seeing it destroy the life of children. Yeah, I'm seeing what it's doing to families. And the, the problem with an addiction, right, and as you all know, rightly, is I don't even think the drug and the substance in and of itself is ever what bothers me when I'm dealing with people struggling with addictions. It's how it snuffs out the life of their soul and it disconnects them from the life source, which is God, and from relationships. Relationships are a life source. So the danger of an addiction is everything it severs I think, in our lives, our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, and consequently, our relationship with others. Hence, where we began, you were almost catatonic on the couch with no expression, talking about the death of your very best friend, Mm -hmm. your brother. One of the most beautiful things that happen all the time now is you excuse yourself or you'll come in the closet, right? Because you need to cry. And I think that's so amazing. If I can just get people to cry and access that pain in your case, where you're that dissociated from early childhood trauma, and you medicated it for a lifetime, pretty much, Mm -hmm. and now I can help all those things come into alignment, that's where healing takes place. Yeah. It takes a lot of courage to do that. And I think one thing people don't realize about addictions too sometimes is that it's not just happening to the addict, it's happening to all of us. Yeah. We are all suffering as a consequence. We need to stop talking. And I love what you said, Riley, about redefining maybe how we talk about this. Yeah, it's idolatrous. It's things that take the place of life-giving sources in our lives. That's what we label as addiction.
2: And with working with you, I realized there was so much more to... That guilty feeling that I always had, I feel I could never access it because I was so dissociated. I knew something was wrong, this isn't right, why am I doing this? But I could never access the source of why I'm doing those things until I started working with you. And like you had mentioned earlier, it started with that one very faint memory of something that had happened whenever I was eight years old. And over time, I ended up accessing memories, realizing that it wasn't just from eight years old. It was from eight to 12 years old. And it was, what does Jim call it? Or what do you call it? Like satanic ritual abuse. It was very, the intensity of things I never realized. That you were participating in. Yeah. Yeah,
1: A lot's been written about this. And we go back to language, right? Pharmakia, pharmacy, where we get the word Pharmacy. Sorcery in the original language. Yeah. Latin. So people think, yeah. So people think that when they're engaging, when they're partying, when they're just using recreational drugs, they think they're just having a good time and, you know, this thing doesn't have any dominion. I'm just decompressing a little bit. No, you're not. You're opening the door to demonic things. And I hear people speak of that privately because they don't have the courage to make these connections publicly Mm -hmm. or they're embarrassed or they don't have a theology that they can sink their teeth into and
2: explain. I think it's interesting. I just had this thought how all of this started with the abuse that happened to me from eight to 12 that I, I didn't let in myself. That was not, I did not open myself up to that. That was something that had happened to me. And then after that, I then opened myself up to so many things with the drugs, the alcohol, and all the things that I was doing with my life. So I just think it's interesting how I didn't, I didn't voluntarily give access to these things. It was taken from me. Mm-hmm. And then once they had me in that place, it was the perfect place for me to allow access to so many, many things because of how much pain and how hurt I was as a young child. An Oxford scholar said
1: demons are people without a body. They're entities, they're living, and all they need is consent. So, inadvertently, we consent to things, and sometimes we're violated. Mm-hmm. Without our yeah. consent, these things happen to us, and we're so shocked, but we don't realize that something dwells in us that begins to drive our behavior. And one of the easiest way to identify it is be careful the voices you hear. Do you hear you, 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 you attacks on your personhood? That's an easy way or like you're a failure or your, uh or I, I, I statements. But this is a really big conversation we just unpacked, but we need to pick up this conversation. Absolutely. Because there's a lot more to this that bears mentioning. In closing, Riley, rest became a lifeline for you. It's very unconventional. We don't diagnose, we don't treat, we don't cure. We do discipleship, which is teaching, Mm -hmm. and we guide through teaching, but we get all the information from you. And obviously, I'm in the process of writing my dissertation on rest as a reconstitution approach to healing. And it's perhaps rethinking how we discuss these topics both of illness, of cancer, of autoimmune diseases, and of addiction. Because we've got to take the whole of who we are as people if we're going to understand healing. We're a spirit working through a soul, mind, heart, will, conscience, and a body. And we need to understand laws of nature, things that are self-evident, that speak to our natural affection, so we can understand how we land in these positions we find ourselves in. In one year, I saw you completely overcome three challenges with drugs, with sex, and with alcohol. Mm -hmm. And if I wouldn't have witnessed the spiritual role and the necessity to understanding sound theology in the process of helping you recover from those things, heal from those things, in honestly nine months we had them all under control, I wouldn't have believed it. It is not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Tomorrow's Good Friday. Mm-hmm. And there's only one person in history who said that he defeated death. Death comes in many forms. It doesn't come when we biologically leave time. It comes in many forms way before our bodies die. But our bodies do speak, even when they can't speak, right? Right. They're telling us something. So I think we need to have a measure of patience and sensitivity with each other, both about how we discuss addictions, but also the hope that we can have in healing. If we enter into these places
2: of rest, we can find freedom. And I'll let you have the final word on that. Like if people could see, and I know this is a whole nother conversation, could see the things that I saw and experienced within the last year because of the things I opened myself up to through alcohol, drugs, things like that, they would be terrified. They wouldn't touch anything, would they? No. And I think people, if people consciously knew what was happening...
1: In the spiritual realm.
2: Yes. They wouldn't do any of that.
1: Well, we're going to pick this conversation up right there, because I think you need to be very clear and very explicit about what you just said. There's three kingdoms that govern time. The kingdom of heaven, we can discuss it in electric magnetic fields. The kingdom of God, which is in the heart of man, the conscience bears witness. And then there's the kingdom of the world, uh, which I talk about often in the terms of anatomy. And we need to be able to have those the conversation about those three things. And I know you have a lot to say about that. But Natalie, in closing, I will say this. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I had nowhere to send Riley. Yeah, and you watched me, and so did the team.
2: Mm-hmm. Have to face
1: and I have to be delve
2: here if it weren't for you guys not giving up on me. Because so many times I kept trying to take the easy way out and say and do things that would make you guys just basically like wash your hands of me. I remember, and I would not be here if it wasn't for rest in you and the team and everyone not giving up on me but believing in me and I think that's a lot of people just give up on people when they're in those situations like I was in and if it wasn't for you guys I if you're listening
1: thank you for saying that and I want if you're listening today and you feel desperate you want to take your life you think you've done everything you think you are beyond redemption that is a lie from the pit of hell and i want you to email natalie rest at VirginiaDixon.com. VirginiaDixon.com. we will answer every email we will do our best to return every single call even if i i don't know that i can return everyone directly but riley can and our team can we're all equipped to speak to these principles because you have the resources within yourself i promise you You have the resources to begin to reason the significance of things and we can help you find the purpose in your, in your pain and it can launch you into a life you never dreamt possible. There is no grave, ain't no grave, ain't no grave that can hold this body down. Yes. And we celebrate that this weekend.
0: We do. All right, everyone. So we have an announcement today. If you never got a chance to attend our 40 days of rest module one, we have officially released the program on demand. You can find it on our website in the drop down menu under events, register in on demand, then use the password sent to your email to access 40 days of rest anytime, anywhere